Well, this morning we're at the sixth sermon, the, the last sermon in this series that I've titled Stepping into Light. And it's a series on prayer. And that whole notion of stepping into light is the idea of crossing those thresholds where we encounter God, on the other side of which we encounter God. Those thresholds are our various practices and disciplines, if you will, places that we go that help us to connect with the truth that there is no place that we can be, that God is not there as well. But as we bring ourselves to those thresholds and cross over them, we, we enter into a place of prayer. And so I've been talking about what are some of those thresholds, and there, there are many, and I identified five to look at during this series. We started with silence, then moved to the way in which scripture is also one of those invitations into God's presence. Thin places, those places that we go to because we feel closer to God in in those places. And then our vocation, that which we hear the voice of God and and God gives us something to be and to do in this world that, that draws us closer to God. And today I want to talk about the way in which our covenant relationships are also one of those thresholds that draw us into an awareness of God's presence and bring us to attention in the way that, uh, that God might be present in and through that relationship. It's important that I define terms for us because what do I mean by covenant relationships? Well, I I essentially mean a a relationship that's bound by or lived out in the context of a mutual dedication to two promises. The first promise is to seek the best of the other with whom you're in relationship. And the second promise is to continue to trust that the other is doing the same thing toward you. It seems like a very simple thing, but it's also a very difficult thing to engage You can seek someone's best and not trust them at all to return that same thing, or you can trust them to give you their best without trying to seek theirs. Either way, it's not easy to do both things, and it's why our covenant relationships are fewer than other relationships that we might have. If you you think about a series of concentric circles, the covenant relationships are the ones at the center, the fewest number of of relationships that we have really are of this character. And then, you know, there are other relationships where we, we don't go as deeply as those concentric circles move out. But covenant relationships, I believe, are one of God's means to teach us about relationship with himself. And therefore, covenant relationships are those kinds of relationships that, if you will, teach us to pray. They grow us in prayer because to be in a covenant relationship is to act in a God-like way toward another. It is to act with the mind of Christ toward another. It is to grow up into the one who is our head, Jesus Christ, as Paul says, and it is to have the mind of Christ. And so our texts this morning, uh, two of them at least, are about one of the examples of covenant marriage that's our covenant relationships that's that's probably mentioned most and that is marriage because marriage is indeed about covenant relationship but we have other close relationships which are also covenant relationships and 
it's a title that's not exclusive to marriage. Um, our relationship with God is a, a covenant relationship. Our relationships that are closest into us tend to be these kinds of relationships. And so this is not a sermon about marriage, but marriage is an illustration of something that tells us something that's true about covenant relationships. It's an illustration of the truth that covenant relationships are given to us by God who enters into that primary covenant relationship with us in and through his son. And so we look at Mark 10 and also right now at Psalm 45, which is a royal wedding psalm and also, you know, one of those images of marriage in scripture. My heart overflows with a godly theme. I address my verses to the king. My tongue is like the pen of a ready scribe. You are the most handsome of men. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Gird your sword on your thigh, O mighty one, in your glory and majesty. In your majesty, ride on victoriously for the cause of truth and to defend the right. Let your right hand teach you dread deeds. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies. The peoples fall under you. Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your royal scepter is a scepter of equity. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Your robes are all fragrant with myrrh and aloes and cassia. From ivory palaces, stringed instruments make you glad. Daughters of kings are among your ladies of honor. At your right hand stands the queen in gold of Orphir. Hear, O daughter, and consider, and incline your ear. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Since he is your Lord, bow to him. The people of Tyre will seek your favor with gifts, the richest of the people with all kinds of wealth. The princess is decked out in her chamber with gold woven robes. In many colored robes, she is led to the king. Behind her, the virgins, her companions follow. With joy and gladness, they are led along as they enter the palace of the king. In the place of your ancestors, you, O king, shall have sons. You will make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be celebrated in all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, take us into your care and work in and through us by your Holy Spirit today. Help us to hear your word to us and your invitation to relationship to each of us. And by your spirit, give us that energy we need to seek the best of others and to trust them to do the same with us. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was uh, 17 and a senior in high school when I found out that my parents were separating. And two years later, they divorced. And I have to say, in looking back on it, that at the time that I was given that news, it came as a complete and utter shock to me. I had no idea that their marriage had been deteriorating for years, 
chalk it up to adolescence and hormones inspiring inattention, whatever you want to uh, chalk it up to, I had no idea. And so when that happened, that hit me over the head. But as I look back on it now, I see in hindsight that things were deteriorating long before that day that that news was announced to me. And now I know this experience not as something that just hit me over the head, but as an experience of a lesson in the truth that I grew to know fully or continue to grow in, in my own experience of marriage to Marianne. I know now that marriage is a container. It's a container for something bigger than itself that it's not sacred per se in and of itself. It's not sacred in that sense of other things maybe being sacred. The institution is not sacred, but what it holds is sacred. What the institution holds is covenant relationship. And like all covenant relationships, they must be chosen daily if they are going to be sustained. That the promise we make in marriage is merely the promise to keep choosing to seek the other's best and to keep choosing to trust the other to seek ours. And this is the point that Jesus is making in Mark 10 that Linda read for us earlier. The background of this passage is that the Pharisees come to kind of dicker with Jesus a little bit about a matter of the law, uh, namely uh, marriage and divorce. You know, the church has loved to make an issue of marriage for a long, long, long time and talk about the rightness of or wrongness of divorce. But very often what happens in those discussions is exactly what happens in this discussion between Jesus and the Pharisees, that the matter is turned into a legalistic ruling about what is right or wrong, but the whole point of why the ruling is there in the first place or why the law is there in the first place is, is absolutely ignored. And that's what happens in this passage. The Pharisees come to test him. They ask him a question about the law, which is what rabbis do, is they answer questions about the law. And they ask Jesus to make a, a ruling on some point of law, and in this case, on marriage and divorce. And they ask, is it lawful? And Jesus responds in the way that he often responds, which is, well, you read, what do you think? And they say, respond, well, yes, Moses gave us permission to, uh, for a man to seek a divorce. And so Jesus says, well, there you go. According to Moses, it's lawful, isn't it? But Jesus doesn't leave it at that. He takes it the next step. And he says to the Pharisees, but Moses gave you divorce, not because it's a good thing, but because of the hardness of your hearts. Moses gave you a solution to a problem that you have a hard time resolving, which is that your hearts are hard and you, you don't know how to love. It's hard for you to enter into covenant relationship. So yes, it's lawful, but do you know why this law was written? It's written because 
your hearts are hard. And God's intention was that human beings should live in covenant relationship with one another. And your hard hearts are the only thing that is at that foundation of that law. God's intention is the daily choice to keep on making the promise that you make at a wedding, to leave and to cleave, to seek a kind of oneness that can only grow out of the risk of seeking the other's best and the trust that comes when you believe the other is seeking yours. And the same idea is in Psalm 45. I really encourage you to go back and look at that. And, and if those of you that were a part of our study of Earth and Altar last year, I think it was Eugene Peterson's book, maybe it was a few years ago, I don't know, I can't remember when we did it. But um, the last chapter in that book deals with Psalm 45. And this royal wedding psalm is a beautiful, beautiful picture, uh, not only of a wedding, but of covenant relationship and what it involves. The psalm describes what covenant relationships are all about. And Peterson says something very interesting in, in his chapter on this particular psalm. He identifies two practices that are involved in making a covenant relationship. And one of them is adoration and the other one is detachment. There's an interplay between these two things and a true covenant relationship is lived out in that interplay between adoration and detachment. Adoration comes in this Psalm as we have those pictures of the beauty of the queen and, and the queen adoring her husband uh, to be the king. There's just a list of the grandeur of, of what is displayed in that wedding as, as this adoration is, is being celebrated, their adoration for one another. And it's that sense that is being put forward here that adoration is essential in a covenant relationship because it is the act of working hard at trying to understand who the other is. It's that act of recognizing that the other is someone that you are constantly getting to know. That the beauty of the other is something that you can never fully fathom. I love what Richard Rohr says. He says, you know, when you are in close relationship with someone and you come to the point of saying, well, I know how he'll react or I know how she'll react. I know what that person will do. He says, at that point, your relationship is pretty much over if you think you know everything there is to know about the other. Because at that point, mystery is gone. And at that point, you've come to believe that everything that you know is all that that person can be. Adoration is that work of constantly understanding that there is more to know more to love, more to come to understand about the other and that you will never probe the depths of that. And the psalmist gives us a poetic picture of this in the bride's adoration of the groom. And also in the call to the bride and the groom both to detach from something in order to grow into the awareness of the other, to make space for the other. There is a sense of detachment that is also invited in this passage. 
To the bride, it's the sense of, of leave your family, come and be the wife of your husband. To the husband, the king, it is forget your fathers and focus on the fact that now you will be having children. You, you will have a, a new generation ahead of you. And these things are not just addressed to the bride, but also to the king, her husband, who says, you too must make space for this new thing. Because instead of your fathers, there will be your offspring, your children. Your true self will be found in the sacrifice of this new thing, this governing relationship that will affect all of your other relationships. And there's a sacrifice in that. There's a giving up in that, but there's also a claiming of something new. You must make space for, you must know, you must seek to understand and adore the other, and you must let go of what you thought defined the other. You must detach from what you also thought defined you and see the new big thing into which you're being delivered. Make space for the other and know that in the other, you will find something that you cannot find any other way. You will know yourself in a new way and you will continue to grow in your knowledge of the other. And in order to do that, you're going to have to let go of the things that were essential to you in order to make room for the thing that will be new to you. To live in covenant relationship, quite frankly, is nothing more and nothing less than to live in a Christ-like way. It's to live as Paul tells us to live when he says, have this mind among yourselves in, in Philippians 2. That was also in, in Christ Jesus. That is now yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking on the form of the slave being born in human likeness. Have this mind among yourself that is willing to detach from certain expectations about yourself in order to find and make room for something bigger than yourself. There is an emptying to make space for the other. And that brings us finally to Colossians 3 that Linda read for us. If you want a picture of what a, a covenant relationship is, look at that passage, Colossians 3, 1 to 17. It's that picture of taking off the things, detaching from the things that inhibit relationship and putting on the things that build relationship. Take off the stuff that causes the static that keeps you locked in yourself and you can see Paul's list there. And put on the things that enable you to see a world bigger than your own and to make space for another person. Take off what inhibits relationship and put on what builds relationship. And the word of Christ and the peace of Christ, says Paul, will reign in your life. The mind of Christ 
will begin to be your mind. To live in a covenant relationship, therefore, is to step into God's presence, for it is to put on the mind of Christ, which is a very different mind than the one that hardens our hearts. So I want to end with a very simple prayer. What's a, a way to, to think about life in terms of life centered around this idea of covenant relationships that grow us into the image of Christ? It's a prayer that I've shared before and uh, that I think puts us in touch with seeking out a covenant relationship. And that's simply a, a two-part prayer that kind of parallels what we've been talking about. The first prayer is, God, how are you at work here? What is it that I'm not seeing in this person, in this situation, in this work environment? How are you at work here? And then the second prayer is, and how can I be a part of it? What is this big, big thing that you're doing? And what's my part in it? Let me listen to your voice. It's the humility of assuming that there's always something bigger going on than what we see at first. That there's always more to discover. It's the humility and the curiosity and the patience that invites us to consider that just maybe God's at work here in a way that I don't yet understand. And then the next part of that is, Trusting that the other with whom you're in relationship is asking the same question. And I guarantee you, when both people are asking that question, and both people are trusting that the other is asking that question, there is an unbreakable bond that is created that has absolute resilience and power to deal with whatever is thrown at it. When we live in situations where all parties are making this assumption, where we choose to seek another's best and trust others to do the same for us, when this happens, we'll understand what it means to think with the mind of Christ. We'll experience what it feels like to be in the presence of God. And our lives will be attuned and altered and transformed in a way that we have never imagined. Let's pray. Our prayer, oh God, is to take in and seek to take in that bigger picture. Help us to understand how we're a part of that something bigger. And then empower us to take up our part in it. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.